Hello. Welcome to this week's episode of the Empowered Artist Collective podcast. My name is Jennifer Apple. And this week, I talk about something that inevitably any single artist who is creating will need to do at some point in their career, fundraising. I speak to Kel Haney, who is a fundraising coach, consultant, and trainer, all about transforming this often uncomfortable process of fundraising into an opportunity for building meaningful relationships. We emphasize how anyone can fundraise successfully, even without a background in sales or fundraising, just by passionately sharing what they love, which frankly, any artist is really quite good at. Kel offers tools on navigating the complexities of fundraising, including handling rejection, building genuine connections, leading from abundance and finding a comfortable stretch, and embracing the power of storytelling. We also discuss the importance of leading from vulnerability, curiosity, passion, and confidence. Enjoy! Kel Haney, hi! Hello, Jennifer! (laughs) So lovely to see you, have you in this space. So awesome to be here. Thank you. Um, I know Kel's husband, Michael Grew. We've known each other for years. And it was like, I feel like this has kind of been fortuitous a little bit where I feel like this mm-hmm. conversation has, I don't know, it's, it feels like it's been floating. And so I'm just, this is, it's, it's, it's exciting. <laughs> so <laughs> I um, agree. for anybody who does not know you, who are you today? Sure. So I'm Kel Haney. Um, I spent 20 years pounding the pavement as a theater director in New York City, Mm -hmm. um, which led me to becoming an outbound fundraising expert. I'm a fundraising coach, consultant, and trainer. Uh, I'm all about taking the ick out of the ask, is what I like to say, which will most likely uh, be the title or the subtitle of the book that I am slowly writing. And the whole idea is that I truly think that anyone can fundraise if it's something that they're passionate about, particularly artists. And um, I'm all about shifting the narrative of fundraising away from being icky transactional encounters and instead to be relationship building opportunities. Oh, I love it. It's such an important conversation. It's one that's like this whole community is built off the ethos of. Totally. And I am curious for you, just like the origin story of this transition specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels in some ways like a natural move, but in other ways, I many people aren't doing it. So would love to hear that. Yeah, absolutely. So um, in my 20s, so this is in the mid-aughts, I was in New York. I was a theater director. I needed to do something on the side to support myself. And this was a moment when no one was talking about their supplemental income jobs. No one was talking about what they had to do on the side to support what they were doing. Um, I was watching most of my peers that were getting ahead were predominantly white cis men who had some kind of outside resources to be able to make their work happen. And I think like we were all in a way hiding what, that we had to do anything else, that it was like a dirty little secret to have to do something other than your art. Um, I needed to do that. So I started fundraising over the phone for Manhattan Theater Club. I had been working there as an intern, and then I became Lynn Meadows' second assistant for a while. And um, I just was talking about the thing I was most passionate about, 
which was theater and which was particularly this particular theater. I, Jennifer, I thought I wanted to run Manhattan Theater Club someday. And so I would talk about that on these fundraising phone calls. I mean, Lynn Meadow knew it. Um, I really thought that's where I was headed someday. And so I was really successful really fast. And I raised well over $6 million in less than eight years, um, all in donations, $2,000 and under. So this was lots and lots of of phone calls. I have more than 20,000 fundraising asks under my belt, which is pretty wild, Um, way more than my 10,000 hours. And so I didn't have a background in sales. I didn't have a background in fundraising. I just truly was doing the thing that I loved. And that's why this worked out so well. And I think it tapped into um, something about I just love to connect. I love to talk love to be on podcasts, go yeah. figure. Um, <laughs> and, it, and it just worked really well. So suddenly, I was really being able to make a different kind of impact for this theater that I loved. And also, it was really changing my life. I was yeah. able to live alone in Astoria. And um, I was able to buy a computer when I needed a new computer or a yeah. new pair of sneakers when I needed a new pair of sneakers. And it just really changed my life. And really fascinated. I ended up being the associate director on a few shows at Manhattan Theater Club. So I was rehearsing during the day and then fundraising at night and inviting people to come see the work. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How did you know you would be good at this? Or like, how did you find yourself in this and feeling empowered to begin these crazy asks? Um, I think it was just, I didn't really think about them as crazy asks. I think that's why it worked so well is that truly I loved the theater and I loved what we were doing. And it just seemed like it made sense to reach out to people. And, you know, I was just looking at what else could I do to supplement my income? I was like, well, let's just give it a try. So it was just like on a lark of let's just try it. And again, I was in my early 20s. And, you know, I wasn't making, it wasn't an either or situation. It was just truly, I need to do something. Let's just see if this sticks. How did you know what to say or do? I think that's where I'm getting caught, right? Which is like, no one's teaching you like, or maybe they did. Did you have a mentor that was like, hey, this is like the general way of of ask of asking of people or this is the general way we do things with fundraising here in this particular institution? Like, how did you even know where to start? Yeah, I mean, we did. I mean, there was a manager of the room who trained us. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, I think something to his credit is that we didn't have a script. It wasn't like you have to say exactly this. It was just truly, here's what's happening at the organization. Here are the shows that are happening in the year. Um, And everyone else I worked with, we were all artists and we were leading from a place of what we were personally passionate about. So um, that's why I feel like it it worked so well. And I just, I was given the freedom to figure out what was my own methodology. And since then I've done it. I mean, I I actually train people on my methodology and some of that is truly reverse engineering, which is just figuring out what could I do intuitively that I can actually teach other people to do, even if that isn't intuitive for them. I'm curious, we're going to jump backwards, obviously, but I'm curious now that we're here, like, what is that? Like, what is the thing that comes to you intuitively? Sure. I mean, it's definitely the gift of the gab. And it's definitely the leading from a place that's really vulnerable. And I also realized that part of that is my privilege. I'm white, cis, hetero woman. And so that idea of being rewarded my whole life for being vulnerable and open Um, that is something that is more natural and has been rewarded Mm -hmm. for me. Um, But it it definitely starts there. And I think just that idea of leading from a place of curiosity, which, you know, as artists, we we all do. It's really useful. Yeah. Ooh, this is so ripe. Okay. So 
now that you have, I wouldn't even say like transitioned out of being an artist. You're not, you're still an artist. This is a craft that like anything else, you know, a hundred percent. I know so. Um, and I would argue that that is probably why you're so successful at it is because of you and your background as a director, you as your background is like leading a space and organizing stuff and keeping on top of it and being creative and finding alternative ways of doing things and being scrappy. Like all of that, I would imagine a hundred percent feeds into how you do all of this. I will own that like, for me, this is definitely something that I know I personally struggle with and arguably is a thing that holds me back from pursuing opportunities that are my own. Say I have, you know, a short film or I have, you know, this community when it was something very different and wanting to like perhaps fundraise for that. I am not comfortable with it. It fills me with deep, deep, deep feelings of imposter syndrome and, um, remembering that like and just questioning my own worth and like who would want to give to me when you know I can absolutely 100% see the flip side of like if somebody asked me especially somebody I care about asked me to help them in any way I want to and yearn to do so so I totally see the opposite end of it is like why wouldn't I give somebody frankly the opportunity to help when and if they feel aligned with a project by you not doing the ask you're robbing somebody of that opportunity to perhaps show up. So like, I totally see both sides, but I know for myself in owning that this is something that for me, the ick is, is great. <laughs> so for people like myself, how do we even begin feeling cozy or contemplating feeling cozy with the idea of asking anybody anything? <laughs> Such good questions. I would right. say that you are actually already on that journey with your self-awareness. And I think that's right. something that most artists do have is that self-awareness of here's where I get hung up. And that really is is the place to start. I mean, yeah. I mean, to be quite frank with you, I don't know, Jennifer, if it's ever gonna feel quote unquote cozy to okay. you. Like I, I don't think, think so either. I don't think I'm that's okay. <laughs> totally. So I think instead of being like, this is not my favorite part. This is not the thing that I really love, but it is part of, you know, functioning within a capitalistic society that mm -hmm. we have to have these resources in order to make our work. So what you're already focusing on this idea of, oh, I'm calling in my community. So I think that's really important to think about. So I think, Jennifer, you're already really in a good place. Like you're really on your way to a strong mindset about what does it mean to call in your community. I mean, for you to say um, that you know that if you don't ask, you know, that doesn't happen. It's just it's just very true. And I, I don't think you have to be as harsh on yourself as I'm like as saying you're robbing uh, your community member of sure. the opportunity. I think, I think I'm trying to be more dire because I'm like, if I don't feel it that extreme, then I won't do it ever. You know, like I, I have think to you like will. I think if you focus, I mean, and I know, you know, Simon Sinek's start with why I think is just such a good text for anybody to figure out their why in storytelling. And that's really what you want to start with is why are you so passionate about this project? And no one wants to start with that because it's vulnerable. Everybody wants to be from a place of, um, you know, how do we protect ourselves in these moments? Yeah. And frankly, the best way to be as successful as possible as a fundraiser is to make yourself vulnerable in whatever way feels comfortable. And like, obviously, within your own place of safety and comfort that works for you, but yeah. to find that. Um, I like to say a lot that, 
you know, in yoga for those folks, your audience that does yoga, it really is finding good stretch versus bad stretch. Mm -hmm. And that's good stretch for you, for us as the artist fundraisers. That's also for the person, the community member that we're calling in. And so it really is kind of that dance of, okay, I'm going to go out of my comfort zone. I'm going to shoot for the moon and see if you could do a donation of X amount. And to them to say, how's that sound so far? What's your initial thought on that? So you really want to stay away from the binaries of, okay, I'm either going to succeed or I'm going to fail. They're going to say yes, or they're going to say no. Um, Because no means a lot of things. And no can really be a gift and can be the opening of a new conversation. And no can mean lots of different things. No can mean I just had this unexpected expense because my dog decided to eat corn on the cob on the cob. Um, It could be uh, because, you know, they're going through something. A family member is sick. It could be we're switching jobs. It could be I never give to arts organizations. Wow. Okay. That's a whole other kind of conversation or no, because last time I donated, I didn't get a thank you or no, because this particular project doesn't speak to me on the way that your last project did. Okay, great. Like, let's have that conversation and find out why. So again, no means lots of different things and it doesn't have to be, it's very common for people who are new to fundraising to kind of like try to pigeonhole themselves and pigeonhole the person with whom they're speaking to be like, okay, I did it. Yes or no. Let's rip off the bandaid. And it's like, just because you need to get yourself to that place, like they may need to be in that dance in a slightly different way. So it really is active listening is a huge part. And at least as artists, like that is something particularly as actors of how to really be in the moment with the person that you're with. Yeah. Ooh, okay. I love an example in this space. Are you cool to like go down a hypothetical with me? Love it. That's great. I'm going to make it up as I go. So (laughs) okay. I have a show I've written. Let's say I'm literally creating all this. I have a one woman show and I would love to produce this in New York. And so I'm going to need to fundraise for the space. I'm going to need to fundraise for my creative team. I'm going to need to fundraise for marketing um, you know, the classic things that will go into, and ideally I'm paying myself. Let's, let's, let's move into the world that we want to, yeah. So we want to be in that I'm also paying myself an actual wage yeah. and I want to get this franchise under equity. So I'm actually making insurance weeks. Yes. Like I'm going for what I need. Okay. Yes. Great. What a vision. <laughs> so with all of that, I have all of these things in place. I already know my team. I know what all these things would cost. I made a breakdown on some spreadsheet somewhere that has my budget and that has all of the things um, in, in alignment for maybe their timeline of when I will need them by and ideally how they're paid. Let's say I'm really on top of my organizational stuff. So really Great. all I need is the actual money. Mm-hmm. Okay. What is my first step? Am I going through, these are all the people that I know in my entire life and I'm categorizing them into categories and think that these people can give me more? Am I going to immediate people that are really close to me and asking who they know and, and compiling a list of wealthy humans who might have resources that I am then reaching out for the huge asks first? Am I, what is my plan of attack to begin with on an organizational capacity? I mean, kind of all the things you're saying, okay. we can we can organize them a bit, but yes, right. yes to all of it. So I think knowing that overall budget, that's super important. And obviously, you know, this isn't a 
moment to talk about producing, but having, you know, 20% more raised as an emergency fund and, you know, uh, is, is really important to mm-hmm. think, so we all know it always costs more than we think it will. So 100%. yeah, you want to know how much it's, that's going to cost and you absolutely should be compensating yourself. I mean, there definitely should be the line item to make sure that you're being compensated. And frankly, in this, this situation as both the performer, the creator, and also the producer. So I think that's really important to know what, what that's going to be. And that's not just pay, you should be paying yourself first, not yourself last. Mm -hmm. So that should just be a line item. And yeah, I mean, it's about building community. Your community building should not be starting with the moment that you're starting your fundraiser, the money that you need to raise. Rewind about what you mean by that. So what I mean is that as soon as you know, as soon as you're thinking you're going to be building a project, you should be building out your community. Even when you're just starting to come up with the idea of, I think I want to do this, I think the more that you're sharing that just in casual settings with the people that are already supportive of you, you want to start there, right? And I think if artists are thinking they want to move towards self-producing, then building that uh, mailing list is super important and do that right away. You know, How like do you do that? How do you do that? (laughs) I mean, like, we won't get too deep into digital marketing. I don't think artists need that. But just who are the people you've already been collaborating with? Who are the people who are already excited about you? I think having some kind of um, newsletter that's going out every couple weeks of here's the stuff I'm working on. And um, to your point of like, when do you start fundraising? I think what's challenging, especially for artists, is that we want to start when we've got the like major need is when we start to build community. And so I'm just recommending that you're building that community as early as possible and that you're thinking about how are you supporting other people in your community. Um, That way, when it comes to, hey, I've got this project that I'm um, really passionate about, they know about it. They know about it weeks, if not months, honestly, before you start actually fundraising and letting them know that you're going to open up a fundraiser. You want to just, you want to start that really early. So, I mean, something I like to think about is, you know, as artists, especially for self-producing, you are not only flying the plane, you're flying the plane as you're building the plane. And I recommend that you film yourself and document yourself as you do all of that. Interesting. So that you're you have the footage of you in the creation as much as you have it in the yeah. final. Mm-hmm. We want to just use what are our own superpowers. So if somebody is already comfortable on camera, then absolutely you should have little tiny videos all the time that you're putting on TikTok, that you're putting on Instagram. If you like TikTok, if you like Instagram, right. if you don't, it's not the time to learn a new social media platform. But if yeah. there's something you're already comfortable in, start there. If you really like to write, you think you're good at emails, great. Start writing emails. Like that's, that's really where you want to start. And to your point of, you know, every first conversation I have with anybody as fundraisers uh, about fundraising, they ask me two different questions. And the first question is like, how do I get a list? How do I get some kind of like a magical list of people to call? or people to contact. Um, sadly, like that just doesn't exist. It really is starting from who is already in your circle and who does your circle know. Um, so for instance, the first time that I was self-producing for myself, um, I sat down with my best girlfriend to make that list. And this is, I had been over a decade, I'd already been fundraising for other people, but it is more challenging when you're doing it for yourself. 100%. Sat down with my best girlfriend, started to make the list, 
And then how she said, did you like go to your email and you're like, these are all the people I know. Let me yeah, create a spreadsheet. Okay. Totally. And I, I just started to, I, even before I got on the email, I just started to talk to her through it. Like for me, I'm just like a very verbal person. Yeah. And as I'm talking to my best girlfriend about this, she, she says, well, you know, she and her partner could contribute. And I hadn't even thought about that. You know, my girlfriend is an actor. Her husband is in pharmaceutical sales. Turns out that they have a budget every month that they spend towards, um, you know, making donations to not-for-profits they care about. So she was one of my first $500 gifts. Hmm. And it did not even occur to me to ask my best friend. Right. Well, because it feels like a heavy lift, right? Because it's like, I think the thing that I come back to is like, you know, you have people that usually occupy certain emotional spaces or physical spaces in your life and your sphere. Mm -hmm. And to have that boundary or what feels like a boundary crossed in some way or like to start to shift that relationship into something that is maybe a monetary exchange, it can Mm -hmm. kind of feel icky Mm -hmm. to, to reframe that. Yeah. It can be, but I also think it's just a, it becomes a, a one never knows of mm-hmm. like, let's just be in conversation because yeah. she loved being able to contribute in that way. Mm-hmm. And she'd already, and again, speaking of calling in, she'd already been to numerous workshops we'd done of the piece. She and her husband were both already really invested in the work that we were doing. Yeah. So it was actually a really easy, it, w- it was less about the ask and more about me making assumptions. And I think that's something we do all the time. Like, and we're also, we're, you know, an industry that's based on scarcity. I mean, that's, that's the big thing I'm looking to upend in a large sense in terms of not-for-profits period, but particularly within the performing arts sector is that it doesn't, we can truly lead from a place of abundance and we can truly call people into our work and empower them, empower them as community members. I mean, I could be on my soapbox for forever that I think one of the reasons theater is having such a hard time right now is because they're treating their audience members as if they're customers yeah, as opposed to as community members. 100%. So it's like got to be about calling people in. It's not about a 5 or a $10 price point is keeping people from the theater. It's not about whether or not how many matinees you have or whether you're starting at 7 or 8 o'clock. It's about empowering people to know that they're part of our community. And mm-hmm. something I'm noticing with our generation, you know, with the millennials and even with younger with Gen Z is that we're all really connecting to the not-for-profits as part of our identity. That it's not, you know, I don't even use the phrase charity. Like I hate that. That's so icky. It's like we're looking instead at not-for-profits and that that's part of our self-identifying of what are the not-for-profits with whom we're aligning. Yeah. And so, so it, we really have to have deeper conversations and it might be that, um, you know, somebody can't give in a monetary sense, but that they are saying, hey, like you said, there's somebody else in my my circle that I think actually has some resources and I'm willing mm-hmm. to connect you or I'm willing to put something out on social media. I'm willing to promote you in that way. Or I really am happy to be there and be part of your box office staff when this is happening. Or I, ha- I can help you with your website. I mean, it just there's so many other in-kind ways that people can also help us along on yeah. our journey. Okay. So this is all so helpful and so wonderful. And I love the idea of calling in. I love the idea of cultivating community from the get, of including people along for our journey. And then they can always click unsubscribe. Please not include me in this. Exactly. Always. Um, So let's say now I have my whole list. I've sat it down. I've looked at every single person I've ever met in my life and how I interact with them. And I've created this beautiful, glorious Rolodex of humans that I know Mm -hmm. and I want to call into my community. Now is the asking part. (laughs) (laughs) 
So there's lots of different kinds of asks. I yes. think you really want to, this is where you said, like you want to get strategic okay. and you want to look at, okay, what is the way that you feel most comfortable reaching out to each of these people. Okay. So it might be that you just start with a blanket, you put together an email cadence for your campaign and that you just start a blanket campaign of here's what I'm doing or here's, you know, like a little tiny video of where I'm headed. So you can start there. Um, I think it's really important um, to think about the idea of matches. What do you I don't mean? know if you have you like ever if somebody's dealt with like I will donate 250 and if somebody else does this I will donate that like you'll match that that's what you mean Yeah so mm -hmm. I mean something you can think about is a God, it's like I don't know how technical to get on all of this right now I don't I mean, want to go for it I will no 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 I will ask um, to clarify if we get techie and But I, I would I would just say you know it really is just like anything else whether it is like diversifying your financial portfolio or playing the intricate board games that my husband Michael and I like to play like there's not one way to do it you kind of have to be working on multiple different levels so you know everything feeds in you're building a community on lots of levels so you do want to be looking at who are those people that could get you to your goal fastest? Mm -hmm. So knowing what that is, let's say you're trying to raise $30,000, right? So if you've got some people on your list that you think you can do a shoot for moon, the moon, five or $10,000 ask, like by all means, start there. You may or may not have those people. If you don't, that's okay. But start with those people because then to my point about matches, um, those people who are doing the five to $10,000 gift, you can ask them, would you be willing to make this actually a challenge grant that you give us that money if and when we raise five to $10,000 from the rest of our pool. So mm -hmm. I love that because it connects that person who is able to donate five ten thousand $10,000 to the folks who are, you know, donating $25. Would you be campaign. framing that ask from the get of like, hey, I'm coming to you because I, I mean, obviously this would be said in a, a more tactful way. <laughs> yeah of, you know, like, hey, I know you have these resources. I'm coming to you because I admire your work that you do. And I think that this is something that would be in alignment with your value mm -hmm. system for X, Y, and Z reasons. Mm -hmm. I'm aiming to raise $30,000. I would love for you to consider donating five to 10,000 of these dollars. And as an additional motivator, I'm also asking my community for smaller amounts. And if they, if we raise it there, would you match that? Are you doing this all in one ask or as like the framing or are you like, Hey, how are you feeling about the five to 10? And then they say, we love this. Or they say, go away, never speak to me again. Or there's that middle conversation that you were talking about of like a no is a maybe, and we have to discuss what that actually is. Like, this mm -hmm. is where the, the blah, 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 makes yes. me want to. So yes. So your instinct is great on this. I would say, hold off on bringing up the idea of a match, mm -hmm. just see where they are on that. And I actually really recommend specific numerical asks. So if you're thinking five or 10 range, just shoot for the moon and ask for 10,000. Yeah. See what they say. I mean, I think another really good, very basic tip is that the sooner you can find a way to depersonalize and take the, <laughs> take the like personalization and don't get me wrong. Like this is therapy. Yeah. This is like all sorts of things. We all have different relationships with money. 100%. Okay. And you have no idea how this other person relates to money. Mm -hmm. So something I talk about a lot is this idea of, I call it like the blue jeans theory, right? So there is somebody in your community who makes $30,000 a year who thinks it's an investment to buy $3,300 pairs of jeans. Mm -hmm. Okay. So makes 30K, thinks spending $300 on a pair of jeans is an investment. And that's something that 
is valuable to them, uh-huh. right? There's somebody else in your community who makes maybe not maybe not your community, maybe not my community, but three hundred thousand dollars a year who would never spend more than thirty dollars on a pair of jeans. Yeah. So even if we know some things about somebody's potential resources, we don't actually know what's in alignment for them. Yeah. So you'll be surprised. So you really just want to figure out what you need to do in your own headspace to like figure out. And again, this is like a whole other podcast episode. I mean, I'm definitely on my own, always doing research about money mindset and mm-hmm. figuring that out. I'm not an expert in that, but I'm I'm definitely learning as I go to yeah. just figure out how I can help people because we all have, like I said, different thoughts on money. But if you can get yourself to a place that you are as personable, as personal, as passionate as possible in all areas of your ask, and then the one area that you do detach from is like, here's the amount. Yeah. And I recommend not commenting on that amount at all because you just, you don't know. So if you say to somebody, I know $5,000 is a lot, but, and if in the back of their mind is they were getting jazzed about what you're talking about and they were thinking, I think I'm going to do $10,000 to this person. Uh, So if you just say, you know, I was thinking Mm $5,000, what's your initial thought on that? So you're just opening that up. And so then they could meet you at the $5,000. If they say, yes, immediately. And I mean, like, wow, that was really fast. Any chance you do 10,000? I mean, you can open up that conversation. Good. I mean, mean, it depends on the relationship and it depends on how it feels in that moment. So, I mean, that was me being a little gutsy. Um, No, but I think it's, I think that is what is required for this, right? And it's not gutsy in a way that's disrespectful. I think it's recognizing the relationship and how you're doing the ask. I also love the question after, here's the ask, how does this feel? Or what is your initial thoughts? Like what are your initial thoughts on it? Because then you're allowing a person to respond to be like, oh yeah, I hear this. I actually can give this to you in installments or I can't, but I have two other friends of mine who all together will come in for it. What you're doing is you're leading with curiosity. Mm -hmm. So that way it's not like, okay, I did my, what happens all the time. I think I already said this, but you know, what happens all the time is that somebody just like, okay, I got to get through this. Let me just rip off this bandaid. Is it yes or no? And it's like, that's not actually bringing the community member along in the conversation. Like what you really want to be doing is you really want to be leading from a place of what do you think? And to really be curious and be like, this is just an ongoing conversation that we're going to have. Maybe that comes to a natural standstill, or maybe that comes to a beautiful conclusion in this moment, but also you're, you're building relationships. So the idea I would assume is if you're raising money for that solo show that you want to make, you know, maybe after that you're thinking, I want to film it, or I've got a second solo show I want to do. So it's like, you're calling people in for a lifelong relationship with you. It's not about a one-time donation. It's a, here's where we're headed next. Here's where this journey is going to go from here. Yeah. Okay. I love this. So you've started your asks. You're saying recognize the relationship and go from there with how you are doing it. So whether that's Mm -hmm. like these larger asks for these $10,000 large things, navigating those on an individual basis, whether it's a phone call, whether it's an email, what uh, an in-person conversation, whatever feels best for you. For these larger spaces of like maybe like your closer friends that you don't necessarily think have the financial resources to get you to these larger goals. Mm -hmm. Are you, are you a fan of the Indiegogos and the Kickstarters of the world? Are you a fan of making it still more of a personal ask? Like what are those more smaller donation, um, like pathways? 
Yeah, I think I think you want to use them all because especially with the with the idea of if this is towards performing arts, you're also hoping that this is going to be your audience as well. Mm -hmm. So even if you are successful with some of these larger asks, I still recommend and I don't spend enough time. Um, my colleague, you should look up Melissa Center is is a woman that actually this is what she does is crowdfunding like she coaches mm -hmm. people on how to do this. So talk to Melissa about specific platforms. I, d I don't know all of that, but um, what I would say is that, yeah, you want to do that because it's just calling in community. Uh, back to the point about how to talk and the phrases to use and not yeah. use, I think you also want to be really specific that you don't say, can you just do $10? Because you don't know what $10 means to somebody. Somebody right. may have truly been like, thinking through their month and thinking about how they were going to rebudget their month so they could donate $10 to you. Yeah. So in the same way, you don't want to say, I know $5,000 is a lot, but you also don't want to say, can you just do $10? Yeah. Um, you just want to- The qualification language can be really complicated. Yes, totally. Mm -hmm. And th that comes out because we're scared. It comes yeah. out because we're vulnerable. And those are the moments that those that qualification language comes out. So, so when you are reframing from away from the qualification mm -hmm. language, are there certain phrases that you find to be really useful instead? Yeah. I mean, my favorite, and if you ever hear this, I mean, I love shoot for the moon. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to shoot for the moon and see if you could do 500. One never knows. You know, it's like I want to keep it always really light. I mean, sometimes yeah. people laugh or like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe you could think I could do that. One never knows. I mean, I've personally yeah. watched over the phone in small donations over $15 million come in for not-for-profit organizations. So when you've shot possible. for the moon. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, no, it, but and I think it, you're, you're naming the elephant in the room. I think for me, that is a level of tapping into the vulnerability part of it too, which is like, I know it's crazy. You probably know it's crazy, but someone has to ask it. Let us both be in the know that this is what's happening. Yeah. And now you get to engage with my ask in the way that you need to for yourself. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, that's, that's a huge part of it. Um, yeah, it's, it really is super important in that way. Have you been using the same monologue for years and could use a new piece? Are you applying to BA, BFA, or MFA programs and need a monologue for that process? Are you simply someone who has no idea where to search for monologues? Well, lucky for you, I do what is called monologue sourcing, in which I find monologues specifically chosen for you. So many artists use pieces based off external labeling for types and roles, rather than find pieces sharing who they really are and what speaks to them. So we meet virtually together, and you share with me who you are as a human, what you love, dislike, your values, beliefs, family, friends, love, politics, you name it. I will help guide you through this, don't worry. And then I go off on my own, and I find you monologues chosen just for you that fit like a glove. I have been doing monologue sourcing for years as an extension of the coaching I do with artists, and I have found pieces in this way for over hundreds of artists thus far. So... If you are someone who wants to feel empowered about the monologues you bring into rooms and use for auditions, I would love to help you find them. And because you are a dedicated listener of the Empowered Artist Collective podcast, I want to provide you with a custom link to an exclusive rate when you check out today. Head to empoweredartistcollective.com slash podcast promo to register. That's empoweredartistcollective.com slash podcast promo. I cannot wait to find you monologues you absolutely adore. What are other things that you have found are 
maybe some unlearnings that we specifically as artists who have been taught and grown up in a society that is, you know, capitalistic and also systems that have kept us small and led with scarcity. What are some things that you found are helpful for us to really unlearn or probably we will encounter as we, as we begin venturing more into asking in this way that are like, if we hear it now, maybe it'll kind of sidestep us a little bit better to be on the lookout for? It's a good question. Um, I think really just understanding that we have superpowers. Okay. Superpowers that the rest of the world does not have. In what way? When I think about, well, things we've already talked about a few of them. So storytelling. Okay. Storytelling is huge. We also, we know how to tell our own stories. And I think we frequently just feel vulnerable about that or feel like who cares or, you know, have our own um, imposter syndrome around um, our own story, but Mm -hmm. get really clear of what is your 30 second pitch or your two line pitch of like, why is this project so important to you? Yeah. Why should we call in somebody? So our storytelling is so important. We have that. We should use that. Mm -hmm. The act of listening the idea that we know how to improvise, we know how to be in the conversation, the empathy and the reading of social cues. I mean, that's just something that the rest of the world isn't trained to pick up on, on the yeah. way, in the way that we have. So we can really use that. Yeah. Um, really leading with curiosity. The fact that like what we do as artists is we're always changing, we're always growing, we're always observing using that curiosity while we're part of those phone calls that, or conversations or it could also be a video call, by the way. I mean, you could say, Hey, could we do like a quick 15 minute video call? I mean, that's something that we all have now. I think it's a great way. I would say, you know, the highest touch point is meeting someone in person and then figuring out what feels appropriate. Is it having coffee with them? Is it having lunch with them? Is it having, uh, you know, prior to dinner drinks with them? Is it having dinner? Like what's appropriate to that relationship? Mm -hmm. What feels comfortable to you? What asking the community member what feels comfortable to them. So meeting in person, highest touch point. Second highest touch point is being on, being on a video call. Yeah. So that way, like you're, you're face to face, uh, phone calls also are super effective. So are even leaving a voicemail for somebody in this day and age that is so personal and vulnerable. And we know how much time that takes can do it that way. Can also be on email. I mean, the thing is, is that what's there's if you do it over email, it feels like it's less vulnerable, but at the same time, it's easier to then just get a no that you can't reopen that conversation and learn a little bit more about the no. So I really would say it really is for those people who are potentially your highest donors slash people that you're your closest friends or family with, like those are good in-person conversations to be having. If you, if you can feel it's a good stretch versus a bad stretch for you. Yeah. I think it's also probably like the taking care of yourself post these asks. You know, I'm just clocking myself as I think about what you're presenting and being like the the grind of putting yourself out there in a way that might feel – and again, I'm projecting this onto people. People listening to this conversation, you may feel really wonderful at this and good on you. I'm really jealous. Probably Um, not. It's really hard. I mean, we're all all learning it. Yeah, of course. But, you know, it's it's an ask. It's a lift. It's Mm -hmm. an emotional, you know – push in some way. And so I guess also just building in, I would imagine one's version of self-care for that so that 
you know, it doesn't feel like it continues to weigh on you. Yeah. You know, you're presenting it in a way that like you're quite good at it and you've learned this skill. And I imagine you have perhaps more yeses or versions of yeses that have migrated from, you know, maybe no's that weren't full no's into mm-hmm. the yeses. Like you're good at the pivot in that. But, you know, it's another form of rejection in totally. some kind of way. I mean, let me let me just say, I mean, when I first started to do this, and again, maybe for a different podcast, there was a lot about the way that I first did this that was very boiler room, yeah. Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, coffee is for closers, a lot of like, <laughs> emotional and verbal abuse, frankly, like when I learned how to do this, um, I would go cry in the bathroom sometimes like, and it doesn't have to be that way. So yes to like the post self-care, but I would even say the pre self-care. So Mm. if these are phone calls, for instance, I recommend, you know, finding like just setting the time in your day when you're going to do that. And like maybe being in a different part of your space than you usually are, maybe in like making yourself a nice cup of tea, doing some stretches or whatever gets you in your body before you do it, like to acknowledge that this is challenging. The other thing you can do, and I love using all of like the actor phrases in yes. this coaching, but you you should always be acknowledging given circumstances. Okay. Tell me more. So what I would say is that if you are with somebody and, you know, it's like, you okay let's think of one I mean I kind of want to use my given circumstances now that I am like actually in my car yeah so you know we didn't like actually talk about this on 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 the pod but basically my internet was bad in my little house in Maine so I'm outside of our library that does have broadband yes Um, my husband did co-wrote the um the grant for I think I don't know a whole lot of money uh for us to get broadband on our island so it's happening but that's a yes but okay, so Thanks, I'm using, I, I will use that. I will say like, yes, if you and I were in a donor meeting right now and say, Jennifer, I'm so sorry that you're seeing me in my car, but on my little island in Maine, this is what's happening. So similar to you, as you could say to me, Kel, like, this makes me nervous. Like, you're the first ask that I've ever made. <laughs> and like, or I've not been doing this this long, or I've been doing this a long time. And this is still like my least favorite part of what I do. I'm nervous. Like, acknowledge yeah your given circumstances of like, this isn't easy for me. Like, that's okay to say that. Like people, we are bombarded by marketing day in and day out. And we are bombarded by like something that is glossy. That's not really reality. So I'm always recommending show the seams. It's Mm -hmm. not about like having it all together and being like perfect and slick. If anything, people don't like that. So I recommend, you know, if you're on some kind of like big, like, which you wouldn't be for what we're talking about, but some of the clients I have that are larger not-for-profits, like they leave voicemails. And so I say, you don't want those voicemails to sound rote. You want to go ahead and make them feel really fresh and really alive. So it really is about acknowledging the given circumstance. You know, you're, if it's, if it's raining, you're acknowledging, wow, this like weather really stinks or something (laughs) happened politically, or there was, you know, yet another natural disaster. Like you, you can acknowledge whatever is happening in your reality and what's happening in their reality. It's not about like, this is just part of our conversation as humans. It doesn't have to be something separate of that. Yeah. It's making me think about, I do a lot of phone banking for, um, Mm-hmm. So, okay, cool. this, and this was a very interesting transition for me when this particular organization, Knock for Democracy, they're unbelievable. Work with them, especially awesome. as the elections start to pick up. 
Um, but they were fundraising because they are also grassroots, you know, and as somebody who's been pretty active in, in their community, they reached out to many of us volunteers mm-hmm. to be like, y'all are really active. You clearly believe in what we do in our mission. Are you comfortable fundraising on our behalf while we gear up for this next election cycle? And I remember meeting with one of the leaders of the organization to be like, I'm terrible at this. I'm so mm-hmm. uncomfortable with this. How do I do this? And we literally strategized together. They were so sweet about it. And I right. did. I ended up like fundraising just a little bit of money and it felt really icky and it happened though. And people who donated surprised me who they were. I didn't think it was mm-hmm. going to be these people specifically in the best of ways. Yeah, you don't know. Yeah, you have never, you have no idea. And this pr- particular cause clearly value-wise matched with these particular people I, I yeah. reached out to in my community of people. But even on these phone calls for the phone banking that we do, or when we went and canvassed in person during mm-hmm. the election, um, when you are going to people's doors or when you are interrupting their dinner time, you know, yeah. the amount of calls that I have received, like cold calls of like, I am calling on behalf of this too. It's like, I've been like, get off my phone. Goodbye. I hate you. Mm-hmm. And now I know that I am that person in theory. And it shocks me every single time when I have a person who is a potential voter who is on the line and willing to talk to me about why this is important. And their yeah. whole philosophy at Knock for Democracy, now this is becoming a plug for them, but here we are. They're great. They great. Should I known, love it. Um, is yeah, talk from your personal experience. Like, yes. they have a script if you well, are somebody who needs that it. That goes back, Jennifer, to the why, right? Exactly. It's like, it's like if you meet that human to human, right? Like, yes. what we respond to is it's like we're not robocalls, uh-huh. we're not scammers, we are individuals that are passionate about a particular organization. Yeah, exactly. So if you start that conversation from that place, um, that that will that will always work. Right. It always has. It's always like, hey, how are you? I know you've been bombarded by given circumstances. Exactly. I know you are being bombarded by ads. So I do not want to take up a lot of your time. But are you Uh registered to vote for this election? Or do you know that voting is already open? Early voting is already open. Do you have a plan to go vote or like? And you can ask numerous questions at once. And that's just opening that up. You have, believe it or not, you have such a good sense for this. When I train people about how to do this over the phone, I always say that the first 15 seconds are crucial. And that it's- Oh yeah, you'll hang up the phone. How many times have we all hung up the phone when somebody calls me? but if you've got somebody who hops right in and says like, hi, my name's Jennifer. I'm actually calling from X cause, um, touching base because you have- why relationship with this organization already. Mm-hmm. And um, we'd love to get you more involved. But first and foremost, like one note, like, are you registered? Like you said, are you registered yeah. to vote? Do you know about this new thing that's happening? Like you're truly calling them in. Yeah. So that that's what I say is the first point is just being really upfront and front footed is what I like to say. Yeah. Front footed about who you are, why you're calling what you're asking about them, and then ending that 15 seconds with an open-ended question or a few questions. Just yeah. be like, I'd love to have this conversation. If this is a good time, what do you yeah, think? Exactly. Because otherwise, it's the stinted going back and forth of like, hello, am I speaking with Jennifer? <laughs> no, you don't need to answer that question. Um, yes, you are. Hi, Jennifer. This is Kel Haney. I'm calling yeah. you from X organization. How are you today? Yeah. And you're like, like I don't have time. Okay. I don't yeah. have this as yeah. opposed to like, you just got to dive right in, especially yeah. if you're doing it, if you're yeah. doing it over the phone. And I like, love that's that. the way to, and people are afraid of that. They're afraid, oh, I'm being too pushy. And it's like, no, you're being transparent and you're being front footed and yeah. you're just getting right to like, why it is your calling. And again, yeah. I don't feel like we can call in our community. We can educate them about the not-for-profits that are important to us, the projects that are important to us. And we can call them into potentially 
get involved with a donation. We can do all of that simultaneously. Yeah. Um, but it needs to be both. It needs to be like, I'm not here to just treat you like an ATM, but mm-hmm. I am going to say like, hey, this is part of what we're doing. So yeah. that that can all be part of it. Yeah. What are some other um, traps that you have found people may find themselves in or like other icks that are not great? Sure. I think part of it is something you've been talking about is like, oh, I have felt like when people have called me, this is how I've responded. I've hated that. We're all only a focus group of one. So how we respond to somebody calling us, we're not the, we're not calling ourselves. Guess what? We're calling someone else. And guess what? You are not the person who made that bad impression on you. That yeah. was somebody else. So a focus group of one is a good thing to keep in mind. Just because you had X many bad experiences with someone who was asking. Like I always, when I'm starting my training, I say, can we think of examples of, of moments when we have felt icked out by an ask, whether that was by a not-for-profit or in a sales way? Or when has that worked out well? Like what is it? that has felt good when we've had an interaction that has felt good. And so break down what about that felt good. Mm-hmm. Um, so, cause you always, you know, those things are things that come up in our um, training anyway. And it's really about like treating that person as an individual and really hearing them and their specific needs. I mean, that's when we, you know, are all the most um, receptive to, yeah. to other things. So I think that's the thing is like worried about that focus group of one is a big deal. Um, that's, that's a big one. I think that we haven't chatted about yet. What have you found as you are now in this new position of Mm -hmm. helping organizations get better at this and, um, you know, giving individuals and organizations tools to, um, empower them in this capacity, Mm -hmm. what would you say are like your top three, like, must do's always to remember. Okay. I'd say always remember that your story is the most important messaging to share. Why you are particularly passionate about this. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's number one. I say number two is to remember that you are talking to another living, breathing human Human being being. (laughs) who is bringing their own baggage about money, about asks, about just what happened to them so far in their day. I mean, having a conversation with somebody on one day when, you know, their pet had an accident inside and then, you know, I don't know, there's something wrong with their car and then they got a bill they weren't expecting is very different than a day when they found out they got a promotion. They got a really nice card out in the mail out of nowhere Um, it's just, we're just meeting each other where we're at on the day. And so to have a sensitivity of how do I truly actively listen to this person and where they are today? Because again, we are intuitive people as artists, you can sense whether it's like, oh, I think they may just have been having a bad day, or I think there was something else going on, or, oh, I think they were upset with me about something else, like to really be able to intuit what else is happening. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would say the third is something we've already been talking about a whole lot, but doing whatever kind of self-discovery work you need to do on yourself to figure out how to take the power out of numbers. Numbers are just numbers. If you can learn to depersonalize a gift of $50 and not think about, oh, what does $50 mean to me? Mm -hmm. Again, they're not you. 
you know, they're coming to this from a different place completely, you know, take yourself out of the equation. You know, I hear a lot, oh, well, I could never ask for $5,000 because I can't give $5,000. They're not you, you know, we're all in different given circumstances. Like we just, we just need to take that out of the equation, the personalization. So if you can take that out and you can get yourself comfortable asking for $500, guess what, Jennifer, you can then ask for $5,000. You can ask for $50,000. You know, I don't know, you become a major gifts officer someplace and you can ask for fifty five hundred thousand dollars and ask for half a million dollars. It's all scalable. It's all just numbers. But if you can do that work for yourself, um, and everybody's different. Everybody's yeah. different. I mean, I love therapy. I think that's a good place to start. Mm-hmm. But also, I mean, that's the way I coach. When I coach people as individuals, we really break down what are the things that are getting in each of their ways and yeah. it's super personal. I love those three tips because they're abstract, but they're completely individualized. Yeah. And getting in touch with those things is like storytelling. People are humans, meet them where they are. And also like, <laughs> you know, just like, I mean, these totally. are all, they're just tangible. Yeah. Um, and so- And they're I, always different. It just, yeah. you know, I can't, it's, we could sit here if you had, I, I can coach on how to make a call um, or have a, have a fundraising conversation and then check in after how did it go, what happened, but it's just, they're always different. It's just, right. it's really hard to be able to give um, really specific advice when somebody hasn't started to do this. So that's, yeah. that is why it ends up being a little bit more open-ended, but that's, that's really the way to start. And then yeah. as the work gets more specific to an individual, the coaching gets more specific to an individual, then we figure out some specifics. Yeah. I guess my next question though, just hammering off of that is, let's say now I've done this solo show as a success. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It all went so well. I was able to fundraise. Now I want to go back to my said community, which is still my community because Mm -hmm. it hasn't changed because it's my community. It's my community. It's my community. Maybe it's expanded a little bit. Mm -hmm. The re-ask for the next Uh now, not just solo show, I'm now going to take this solo show on the road and I'm touring. (laughs) I love that. So you want to keep that in mind from the get-go. You want to, again, like we said about- Acknowledge the elephant, like you've given and thank you because of your work. I was able to do this and now do you want to continue being on the journey? Is it that? And in the meantime, just bring them on the journey. It would be great is if after they've given before you've made a second ask that you've had a couple of more touch points that aren't an ask that are just a, hey, I want to give you an update of what's yeah. happening with the project. Um, you know, want to give you, wanted to send you, people love any kind of little behind the scenes video or an interview or, hey, we got this great review or we got this great feature. Like just br- continuing to bring your community along on every step of the journey, not yeah. just when you quote unquote need something from them. Yeah. That'll make yeah. it easier. But yeah, you get it. I would totally always acknowledge you've been so great. Like, thank you so much for that donation. Here's what we're doing next. Could you get more involved? I mean, the old adage is that givers give. And whenever I go into a not-for-profit, I'm always asking about what, you know, what is the status with their current donors and their recently lapsed donors? Because strengthening those relationships is truly the most important to continue to build the individual givings program. Yes, we'll also bring on new acquisition as we go, new donors, quote unquote. We'll bring them along and they're also very important, but let's make sure we're doing everything we can to cultivate the relationships we already have. I think, again, we've been taught, you know, scarcity, especially around money and resources. And it's just, there is so much money. There is so much money. And that's the thing that, you know, I I constantly try to remind myself of like, there is so much money and I might not have all of it in my own personal pocket and maybe my friends don't either. 
but and like the yes. money exists. There is no scarcity of it. It just might not be right within our own direct reach, or maybe it is in weird under, you know, rock moments we have to flip over, but it exists. Yeah. So yeah. why not try to get it? I guess. And just like ways that are discovery, you know, like yeah. ways that are going to surprise you. Again, like my friend that I wasn't, we had never had that conversation and I wasn't thinking about you know, what she and her husband are doing and, you know, what his job is. I just, I just hadn't even been thinking about it. You just don't, you don't know. Yeah. And yeah, you just don't know people's priorities. I have one last question before we fully wind down our time. What are your thoughts on fundraising events? And are there any little tips and trades that you think about that versus an ask for a specific project? It's like, I'm hosting a concert that happens to be a fundraiser. Mm -hmm. Yes. So, I think that people tend to uh, gravitate towards a quote-unquote fundraising event um, more easily than they gravitate towards the one-on-one ask, but you can guess why, because it's less vulnerable, yeah. it's less scary. Um, I will say you just want to be really careful about, are you? is it actually going to be a strong enough return on your investment right. to have a, have a fundraising event? What I recommend for most organizations, I mean, obviously... I work with MCC Theater and Miss Cast is huge and amazing and raises all this money and that's a whole other circumstance. Mm-hmm. Um, but for you know startups and smaller organizations and smaller projects, I say throw the party and throw it as a cultivation event. So it's meaning. not about meaning that it's not about making fifteen dollars at the door and saying, oh, I hope we get or fifty dollars at the door or this costs seventy five dollars a person, but we know that you know, we're only going to net half of that. Like, forget Mm -hmm. all of that. Do what you can to have the most casual, informal details that are important to you event and just invite people to invite them to learn about, uh, learn about your event and then do the follow-up with these one-on-one asks or putting them on your mailing list. Like, so by cultivation event, I mean, it's not a moment that you're looking to raise the money at the event. You're looking to build relationships and then follow up with those relationships after the event. So is that like hosting a mingle kind of thing and being like, hey, we're all here to meet each other under the guise that at some point down the line, basically, I'm going to be promoting or asking or whatever for this opportunity that I'm doing. But it's just really more we all want to be in space together. And then down the line, they're not thrown by the ask. I wouldn't I would somehow gear it toward your event. So I would say like, hey, like I'm throwing, you know, again, I don't know that you really need it. It might be that you're like, hey, I'm going to have a little dinner party and I'm going to like share a song, you know, as part mm-hmm. of this. And and you could say, Hey, I'm going to, um, I'm going to invite, I'm, I'm asking these people that I really love and that I care about who care about me. And I'm asking each of them to bring somebody with them who they think might also be in alignment with the work who may also have the financial resources to support. So that way you're like, yeah, it's, it's a way to introduce you to Jennifer and Jennifer's work. Um, and yes, like it'd be great if, you know, she's also going to talk a little bit about the project that she's developing. Um, and so it, yeah, it's under the guise of like, this is to introduce them to mm-hmm. you as a person and as an artist and as your project, but that it's not that you're, con- you know, it's contingent on, oh my gosh, we've got to get this many people in at $50 a head. Yeah. Ooh, helpful, helpful, helpful reframe. Yeah, and if you need to make it, if you need to ask, if you need to ask for money as part of it to cover the event, then like do it to cover the event. But I, I really think that it's just, it's just the returns are diminishing when really one or two relationships could, you know, raise one or two phone calls, one or two coffees could raise the amount of money that you are 
sweating over to put together this event, you know, and yeah. like ask your friends to all spend $25 to be at your event. Like that's not actually yeah. cost effective or energy I, effective. I love that. Um, yeah. Is there anything that is currently on your heart, your mind, your spirit that we did not talk about or I did not ask that you would love to share? Yeah, I think I just want to say, you know, to your audience, I mean, I never saw this path coming for me. I really did think that I, I was doing my favorite thing. All I ever wanted to do was, quote unquote, do the play. And <laughs> I would get my brother and all of my neighbors to be like all the Von Trapp children on the hill outside of our yard. And Every day as I was living in New York City, when I would ride the subway every day, I would think to myself, oh my gosh, I'm doing the thing that I love. And mm -hmm. I felt such gratitude for that. Um, the pandemic really shifted things for me. And I realized, oh, wow, I really love getting to be home and having dinner with my husband every night. We yeah. would do that once a week. I love that I could take walks and be out in nature in a way that I didn't have the time or energy to do. So, you know, I'm not saying that necessarily anyone else is going to have a career change in the way that I did. But I, I do have this second act that I never anticipated. And I would have always thought this was like the worst thing in the world if I was not a theater director anymore. And like, for me, it's become the best thing. And I think no, it's I because, yeah, for me, I felt like I was really crafting my life to support my career. Yeah. And now I'm really crafting my career to support my life. And mm -hmm. for me, that I just had gone too far down a road, like that course correcting wasn't possible for me in that moment. And and I really love how I have time and energy and financial resources in ways I didn't have before to put creativity into my rest of like my real life, not just what I was putting on stage. And I'm really happy. So I just kind of want to give that to everybody and to say, yeah. hey, if you're thinking you might be happy doing something else, maybe think about it a little bit. Yeah. Also, if you're like, it has to be this art form, rad, do it. I'm here to help you learn how to fundraise. I'll yes. help you do it. Um, <laughs> 100%. But yeah. That like journeys are shifting always yeah. and that's okay. I love that. Um, for anybody who wants to work with you, to have you coach them or their organization, mm -hmm. to learn more about what it is that you do, to reach out for any follow-up questions or clarifications, like what are within your own boundaries um, is the best way for people to reach you and yeah, find you. Absolutely. So um, I've got my website is kelhaney.com. Um, if you're on there, you can schedule a 30-minute um, exploratory conversation. I'm willing to have any conversation with any artist at any time. Um, you can also find on there, I have um, a freebie, which is eight phrases not to use in your fundraising. So I'd recommend go ahead yeah. and download that and we can For have sure. a conversation at a different moment about these eight phrases not to use, but go ahead and download them um, and you'll be added to my mailing list and we can, you know, kind of continue our conversation in that way. Mm -hmm. uh, in early 2024, I will have a creative cohort happening and that'll be a way um, virtually that a group of created like-minded individuals can learn how to craft. I have a training program. That's my five minute fundraising ask. So you can learn that all together Amazing. and we can have a version of the conversation you and I started to unpack here, Jennifer there. So I'll, right. I'll keep you posted on that, but you can get on that wait list for early 2024. Amazing. LinkedIn. Not all artists are on LinkedIn. Um, I love LinkedIn. It's actually become a place for me to have self-actualization and, and write mm -hmm. a bunch of things. So if you happen to be on LinkedIn, like find me there and we'll continue the conversation there as well. I love it. Thank you so much for your time, um, for unpacking this in a way that feels so 
tangible and approachable. And, um, you know, I really just love your approach because you are an artist, <laughs> like because this is your roots, you know, and totally. you come at it from a place of empathy and storytelling. And, you know, I think that is ultimately where all of us thrive and as you said, our superpowers. So thank you yeah. for um, demystifying a lot of these things in this space. And I'm My really pleasure. excited thank for, you for, for yes. thank you for your vulnerability and um, I really appreciate this. If something in this episode resonated with you, and more importantly, if this podcast means something to you, it would mean the most to us if you would leave us a positive review. This means the most in podcast land and allows us to continue creating these episodes for you weekly. If you are not yet doing so, please follow us on Instagram at Empowered Artist Collective, on TikTok at Empower Artist Collective, more on our website at empoweredartistcollective.com. If you are seeking some fun, cute merchandise, we have that link for you in the show notes. As always, I am so endlessly grateful that you keep on coming back, and we will be back again next week. Until then. Thank <laughs> you.